very young age, and uh, they had two children that n never made it to birth. Both of them died before they were born. And uh, most likely, they say that because the, the children were probably so, uh, so uh, physically unable to live, just because of, you know, number one, the, the half-brother and sister, but then also because of Ki King Tut's uh, physical illnesses and all the things that he had as well. And a common theory is that he had an epileptic seizure that led to a fall where he broke his leg, and then that leg became infected, and he had a weakened immune system already because of all of his other uh, physical maladies that he had, and he died at 19 years old. Uh, just, you know, the fact that we know so much about King Tut is amazing because he died a as an Egyptian pharaoh in basically obscurity. Nobody knew anything about King Tut. And uh, his line ended with him because he never had any children uh, that, that could carry on that line. And for centuries, nobody had any idea that King Tut even existed, let alone uh, who he was or whether, or, you know, let alone think of him as some famous pharaoh or anything like that. But um, a, a lot of other pharaohs had been studied far more than he had until he was discovered by Howard Carter and George Herbert in 1922. And the reason why he became so famous is because his tomb had been untouched. And they found everything basically the exact same way that it was when he was buried uh, all those years before. And, and, and he became a source of just Egyptian study because of how much was there. And somebody that was talking about that later wrote this. John White is his name. He wrote this. The pharaoh who in life was one of the least esteemed of Egypt's pharaohs has become in death the most renowned. Which is a pretty interesting thought, because it wasn't because of that, but I had started thinking about this, and you know, one of the things that, that struck me is that over the centuries, how many Christians have lived their lives in relative obscurity, but did great things for the cause of Jesus Christ? Nobody knows their name, nobody knows who they are, nobody talks about them or writes books about them, nobody speaks of them as, as, you know, as a Christian that everybody puts on, up, up on a pedestal. They don't make plaques saying that he was here or they were there. They don't have uh, uh, you know, uh, statues in their honor and uh, schools in their name. or None of, none of those things that, that, that mark some of the more famous people that we know, especially even in Christianity. No one knows who, who they were or what they accomplished for Jesus Christ. But you think about uh, an elderly lady's fervent prayer that brought about a revival. Nobody knows who that lady was, but God brought a revival as a result of that lady's prayers. Or a young man who gave his life to Christ and, and, and won people to Jesus Christ who went on to do great things in our eyes for the cause of Jesus Christ. So many things that, that the kingdom of God has been built upon the sacrifice of those who were concerned only with pleasing their king that nobody knows anything about. Only years later, perhaps centuries later, will we ever find out the extent of their work for Christ, but one day all of that's going to be revealed when we stand before Christ. And I think, I think that, that, that so many of the names that we lift up uh, today, but even, even in the past, names that we lift up as great Christians are probably going to be way back in the line for people that nobody has ever heard of that did great things for the cause of Jesus Christ, probably because they weren't worried about getting the credit for it, probably because they, weren't, they didn't care about being out in front. And I'm not saying that, that, that if, if, if your name is known in Christianity that you're a failure because you're just wanting to be out in front of people. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is so many Christians spend their lives in search of fame, 
So many Christians spend their lives trying to make an impact, trying to leave a legacy where everybody's going to remember who they are. Everybody's going to write books about them. They write their autobiographies in hopes that people are going to, to remember them when they're gone. And I'm like, There's nothing wrong with wanting to be remembered, wanting to leave a legacy. But let me tell you this morning that the rewards in heaven for a life lived for Jesus Christ far outweigh, far outweigh any accolade or recognition that can be given to us or bestowed upon us by men. In Hebrews chapter 6, and we could, I, 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 I thought about going to Hebrews chapter 11 where you have the list of all of those people, and it says there at, near the end of Hebrews chapter 11, and many others basically that, that live their lives in faith. They're unknown. Nobody knows who they are. But this, I think, sums it up pretty well in, in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 9. But beloved... We are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise." But I think the key there is in verse number 10. God remembers. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Paul was talking to a bunch of Christians whose names we have no idea who they are. We don't know, we don't know those Hebrew Christians. Some of their names are mentioned, but the, he's talking to a whole church full of people. And he says, God remembers. The question that I have for you this morning is this. Are you willing to be an unknown hero? Are you willing to be an unknown hero? What I want to share with you this morning is three elements that make an unknown hero. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll look at a couple of these things this morning. Father, again, we thank you for an opportunity that we have to, to gather around your word. I pray that it would be a help to us God, may it encourage us to continue to live for you, whether we have a name that's recognized, whether we uh, have any recognition in this world at all. God, may we continue to serve you and live for you in spite of anything else that happens, in spite of what comes or doesn't. God, may you use this message this morning to help propel us to, to what you want us to do in our lives as Christians. And we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want you to see is this. An unknown hero is willing to serve without being seen. Willing to serve without being seen. If you will, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 12. I recently read about a veteran's speech that he was giving, and, and he referenced a saying that was used while he was serving in the United States Navy. And the saying that he referenced is simply this. It's the unseen wind that drives the ship, not the lofty sail. It's the unseen wind that drives the ship, not the lofty sail. Now, the sail is visible. That's what everybody sees, and it's vital. You have to have a sail if, you're gonna, if, if, if that ship is going to be propelled forward. Uh, it, would, it wouldn't go anywhere, though, without the unseen wind driving it. And, and the same can be said about a lot of aspects of life. A, a general, for example, may be honored for his accomplishments in war, but I can promise you this. He might have made a couple good decisions, but he wasn't the one that actually won the battle. The guys that were on the ground fighting, the soldiers that were under him were the ones that actually did the work and won the battle, right? It's that, it's that unseen wind. Now, in, in football, the quarterback might be the lofty sail, 
Right? He's the one that gets all the recognition. He's the face of the franchise. He's the one that everybody thinks of when they think of that football team. But if there was nobody to throw to, if there was no offensive line to block, if there was no defense, there would be no success. It's the, the, the unseen wind is all of those players that are underneath. Somebody might rise to, to the surface. Somebody might rise to, to prominence or recognition. But that unseen wind is what actually is driving that. And in the Lord's service, there are, there are so many people who serve faithfully and unnoticed, but they are the ones who drive God's work forward. Without those unseen servants, the work of God would be at a standstill. And what I'm trying to get you to understand this morning is that you are not insignificant in your service for the Lord. We're, we're a small church. We're not, our church is not on any kind of national recognition level. We don't, we don't, you know, we're not out there for everybody to know about us and everything else. And so you think about our small church, and then you think, I'm just a person in that small church, right? But, but you are not insignificant in the work of the Lord, and God can still do great things through you, whether anybody knows who you are or not, whether anybody knows who I am or not. It's often been said that a leader is only as good as his followers, and, and when it comes to a church, a pastor may get uh, whatever credit is out there for the church being built, uh, and he may have a hand in it, but without people faithfully serving the Lord in that church, there would be no church. You're the church. Do you know how much would be accomplished if I got up every Sunday morning and nobody was in here and I just preached to empty chairs? Wouldn't be a whole lot going on in the church, would there? Can you imagine how, how, much, how little would be getting done if it was just me? Then I didn't have my family. I didn't have your families. I didn't have you serving. There wouldn't be a whole lot that gets accomplished, right? So, so as the leader of this church, it's not like we're getting recognition necessarily anyway or, or, or getting fame or any of that kind of stuff. But whatever is there, people attribute to, oh, the pastor's leading a great church. It's not the pastor, it's the people behind the pastor. I might be the sail, but you're the wind that drives that sail. You're the church. You're the ones that are doing that work. You're the ones that are accomplishing those things. The people faithfully serving the Lord are making up the unseen wind that drives the sails. The same is true of entire churches that are driving Christianity forward in our nation. We, there's a lot of small churches like ours that are still standing, that are still faithful to the Word of God, that are still faithful to, to, to follow what the Bible says, that are driving Christianity forward. And you think about these massive mega churches that are accomplishing so much for the Lord, and most of them are not even leading people to Christ. They're leading people to their institution. They're leading people to baptism. They're leading people to a lot of other things, but not to Christ. They might be the face of Christianity, but they're not the wind that's driving the sail. They're not the wind that's driving Christianity forward. It's small little churches like this and people that are in those churches that are driving the sail of Christianity forward. Samuel, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 24, Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things He hath done for you. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. Nothing else matters, Saul. Nothing else matters. Only serve the Lord. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. Think about how much he's done for you. Think about what he's, what, what he's given you. What a great reason to serve him. After all he's done for me, how can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely? After all he's done for me. We sing that chorus. But that's what he's saying. How, consider how great things he's done for you and then serve him, fear him in truth with all your heart. 
Two questions come to mind regarding our role as being the unseen wind. Number one is this. You may want to write these down because these are things that I think would help you to reflect on this week. Am I content serving in the role of an unseen servant that helps drive the work of God forward? Am I content serving in the role of an unseen servant that helps drive the work of God forward? I don't have time to take you there. If you want to turn there and kind of look through some of those verses, you can. But Numbers chapter 16, we see the story of Korah. Korah and Dathan and Abiram. And they were, they were leaders, and they, but they had an unwillingness to serve without being seen. And we see that whole story. We could take the time to read. There's a couple chapters, but, but Korah railed against Moses for, quote, taking the credit. Moses is taking all the credit, and he didn't say it that way. That's, that's, I'm, I'm summarizing what the Bible says there in Numbers chapter 16, but Moses is taking all the credit for everything that's happened. Moses is not the only one doing all this stuff. Why is he taking all the credit for it? Korah wanted some of that credit for himself. Moses wasn't trying to take the credit. You remember the story of Moses, right? He, he tried to give it away. I don't want that. I don't, I don't care anything about being the leader of, those, of the children of Israel. I don't care what kind of recognition I get. That's not a position for me. And basically, he, he, he eventually relented to the Lord, pushing him, pushing him, and pushing him. So Moses is an is, is a unwilling leader, if you will. He was not trying to take the credit for himself, but Korah, in his twisted mind and in his own selfish mind, by the way, somebody who is a thief thinks that everybody else is stealing from him, right? Somebody who's a liar always thinks everybody else is lying to him. And somebody who's proud thinks that everybody else is proud too, right? And that's exactly what Korah, the position that Korah was in. Korah thought that Moses was just trying to take all this credit for himself, probably because that's what Korah would have done had he been in that position. And that's what Korah was doing, and he wasn't even in that position. But if he was going to serve, he wanted to get recognized for it, and the end result was discord among God's people. There was a whole group that left with Korah, and you know what the result was? God opened up the ground and swallowed Korah and Dathan and Abiram and their families and their stuff and anybody else that sided with them and closed the earth back over top of them. Could you imagine standing there and seeing that? Guess whose side I'd be on after that? Moses. <laughs> I'm on the side of Moses. Let's start chanting Moses' name, right? That's whose side I want to be on. But could you imagine standing there and watching that? But God was making a point. You don't need to serve and get recognition for being that servant, or you're not going to serve. But that's the way a lot of Christians are today. If I can't be recognized, and I'm not going to serve in that ministry, nobody sees the people that serve in that ministry. I can't do that. Hey, sometimes on Saturdays for visitation, oh, there's not a lot of recognition for getting out there and knocking on doors. It's only two people going together. Nobody sees that. I can't do that. Let me be in a place where I get to do this. Right? And I'm not saying that that's, that's an issue that we have here, but that's something that we need to pay attention to. Am I content serving in the role of the unseen wind, the unseen servant that's going to help drive the work of God forward? But here's another question for you. Am I part of the unseen wind, or am I remaining still and not making a difference? Hey, sometimes the wind is not blowing at all, and the sails, it doesn't matter if you have sails or not, because they're not moving Right, that unseen wind is necessary. In Nehemiah chapter 3, and again, I, I don't have time to take you through that whole passage, but we read about the nobles, the Bible says, who put not their necks to the work. They were not willing to get out there and work. They were not a driving force behind the sails. Right? Nehemiah said, all right, fine, I don't need you. We'll go on with the work without you. 
because they were not willing to do the work. They were too important for that menial labor. We're princes. We don't do that. We only get served. We don't serve. All right? They weren't going to serve unless they could get recognized for it, unless it was a job that they deemed important enough for men like them. Boy, may we never get to the point where we look down on some job and say, that's too big for me, or that's, that's, too, that's too small for me. I'm too big for that. I can't go clean a toilet. Do you realize how nasty that is? I can't clean a bathroom. I can't, I can't do this. I can't do that. That's for, the, that's for those people, right? May we never get to that point where we just think of ourselves so highly that we're not making a difference at all. And I, be, I think there's a lot of Christians, especially throughout history, but even today, who do not make a difference for the cause of Jesus Christ because they're not willing to do the things and serve in a place where they cannot be seen, do things that they think are below them. Am I actually part of that wind? Am I part of that driving force? Am I just still? We, have, we, we all have to consider what part we play in the course of our lives that reflect that unseen wind. Turn over to John chapter 12. Because the thing is, it, it may go unnoticed by mankind, but nothing goes unnoticed by our Heavenly Father. God sees everything. It's to say, hey, we, we focus all the time. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. You better not do that. God's watching you, right? You better not tell a lie. God knows that you're lying. You better not steal, even if you think nobody's watching, because God sees you. And, and, and there's, that, that's part of it. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil. But we forget about the second part. Beholding the evil and the good. You better not serve because nobody's going to see you. Hey, God does. I can't do that because nobody's going to recognize that I did it. Hey, God sees it. Right? He beholds the evil, yes, and that's something to keep us away from those things. But he also beholds the good. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. He knows your thoughts. He knows your intentions. He knows why you did something. He knows when you were here doing something and nobody else even knew coming to do it. He knows all of those things. He sees you when you give out a track. Nobody else saw you do it. He sees you when you share the gospel with somebody and nobody else knows you did it. He sees you when you come out and do work at the church. Maybe you're here in the middle of the week doing your cleaning and nobody else is here with you. God sees those things. And he'll reward us in heaven. The people that fulfill the role of the unseen wind on the earth are going to be recognized in heaven as that lofty sail. John chapter 12 and verse 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Oh, man, it's great to get a, a title bestowed on you. Honorary doctorate, Dr. Steve Boots. This is an honorary doctorate for you because of all your work that you've done. Well, that's great. Well, nice title, right? Or, you know, here's something that we're going to be, an award that we're giving this guy because he did this, right? He's accomplished so much. You're moving up the ranks and all these, are great, there's nothing wrong with moving up the ranks and getting those titles and everything else. But could you imagine being able to stand before God and God honors you as his servant? He says, you serve me. Look, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. What a great, great goal to aim at. I want to be honored by God. And I can imagine there's probably going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of people whose names you never heard of, who's, who, who served in places you didn't even know was a place that God's going to honor because they just were willing 
to serve without being seen. Number two, I want you to turn over, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. An unknown hero is willing to serve without being seen. But number two, an unknown hero is willing to love without being loved. One of my favorite stories growing up was the story of Nate Saint and Jim Elliott and, and the three other missionaries, and they get lumped in together. <laughs> but the three other missionaries that died with them, Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, in their attempt to reach the Alka Indians, a tribe of people who, who were just very resistant to foreigners and there in the jungles of Ecuador, they tried to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they were, they were trying to make peace with these savages who had never spoken um, to a white man before. And these missionaries tried to show them the love of Christ by giving them gifts and trying to communicate with them and trying to show them that they wanted to be their friends, and they thought they were making progress. And so they put their airplane down, they, they got out, and they went to talk to those uh, Indians to try to share the gospel with them, and they, instead of receiving them, attacked them and killed all five of those missionaries and left their bodies floating with spears in their backs in the river. And their families came when they couldn't reach, you know, when they couldn't get a connection with them, their families came and found them floating there in the river. And really, it was a lack of communication and, and the, 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 the ability for them to not communicate um, but they misunderstood. They thought they were coming to try to do something to them. These, these Indians thought that. And you know that they found all of those missionaries with weapons on them, guns, unfired. They could have very easily just started mowing them down. They didn't because they were trying to get them to gospel. And you know what happened as a result of that? Those five missionaries, wives, and families went back to those Indians and when those Indians saw that they were still willing to try to communicate with them and still willing to try to share the love of Jesus Christ with them, they understood and they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And there's a thriving, even today, this was in the 1950s, even today there's a church still there amongst the Alka Indians. Many of those, many of those who were kids grew up and went on to become missionaries and pastors themselves because of the love of Jesus Christ that these five missionaries showed and Elizabeth Elliot has written many books, but one that she wrote was a book called Through Gates of Splendor. And then Nate Saint's son wrote The End of the Spear, another book about their fathers. Uh, but, but just what a story, a willingness to love without being loved. And even today, Nate Saint's son, Steve Saint, is still a missionary, very actively involved in the lives of these Indians and, and many, many others like them. One of the most famous quotes, I think, maybe in all of Christianity is, was written in Nate Saint's diary, and they found it later. And he said, he wrote in his diary, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I think he was summarizing the Apostle Paul's words there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 15. Paul said, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Wow, the world today is very much anti-God. We'll find very few friends of the cross among the people who are not saved. Well, we're going to feel very unloved many times. Love anyway. We're going to feel very, we're going to be made fun of and ridiculed. We ought to love anyway. We're going to be mocked and laughed at for being a follower of Jesus Christ. We need to love them anyway. We'll be called crazy. 
We'll be called hateful. We need to love the, the, the unsaved anyway. We're going to be cheated and lied about. We need to love them anyway. Think about what Jesus Christ did when he was on the cross. He didn't deserve any of that. And yet he loved them anyway. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What, a, what, a, what, a, what an example of what love really is all about. The, the greatest definition that fits in any, in, in any situation, but the greatest definition that I ever heard of love is love is wanting the best for another person. Love is wanting the best for another person. That fits in marriage. It fits in a family. It fits with the unsaved. If you want the best for another person, then you're going to take anything that they throw at you. want the best for them. You want them to be saved. That's the best for them. That's what they need. They don't need somebody to, 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 to match them and, 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 to, and to give them back what they're giving out. They need somebody to love them and to show them the love of Jesus Christ. Our goal is not to make people feel bad. That, that results a lot of times when we tell them the truth from the Word of God, but that's not our intent. We're going to be misrepresented. We're going to be misquoted. We need to love them the way that Jesus Christ loved them anyway. We're going to be misunderstood. We're going to be mistaken. We need to love them the way that Jesus Christ loved them anyway. He gave his life for those people. He gave his life for me. And if he was willing to give his life for me, how much more should I be willing to give my life for him and for others? They're, they're gonna, those that, are trying, that we're trying to help will often reject that help and they'll lash out against us. We need to love them the way that Jesus Christ loved them anyway. They need Jesus Christ and often the only way that they're going to be drawn to him is if we as Christians are so Christ-like that they see Jesus Christ in us. That's how we're going to win them. We're not going to win them through arguments. We're not going to win them through, through fighting and through all of these other things. We're not going to win them that way. We're going to win them with the love of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean you need to roll over, but how many times does the Bible say, turn the other cheek, right? How many times do you need to forgive somebody? Seven times? No, 70 times seven. All right, 490 times, and who's counting after that, right? What's 491 or 591? If you have already forgiven them that many times, right? If, if he smite you on the cheek, then turn the other cheek and let him smite you again. I mean, that's, that's what Jesus said, right? And, and then Jesus modeled that on the cross. They whipped him. They beat him. They mocked him. They, they lied about him. They said all of these things. They, I mean, they accused him of the worst thing that you could possibly accuse somebody of, being a blasphemer. That's the worst thing you could accuse somebody of. And yet he took it all because he loved them. Let them say what they want to say. I'm going to love them the way that Jesus Christ loves them. One of my favorite quotes is a, is a plaque that we have on our wall or a little sign that we have on the wall, and it says, live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. Live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. That's what being a Christian is really all about, willing to love without being loved. The last thing I want you to see is this, and turn over to Mark chapter 16. This is a verse that you're very familiar with. Probably most of you could quote it. But number three, an unknown hero is willing to preach without being praised. Willing to preach without being praised. Preach means to proclaim, to make known, to offer. That's not saying that I, as the pastor, am the only one that can preach. We all can preach. The Bible says that in Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15. And he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Was that given only to a pastor? No, that was given to the church. That means all of us can go preach the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's just simply a proclaimer. It's somebody who is sharing that message. 
Hey, we've been given a message from the king. Our job is to share it with everybody in the, in the world as much as we can. We're commanded to do that to every creature, the Bible says. So we're, we're to offer pardon and eternal life on the, on, the, on the terms of the plan of mercy, which is through repentance and through faith in Jesus Christ. That's our job, to get that out. And, 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 and as, a, as whether known or unknown, we need to be willing to preach without being praised. Right? We have the assurance that Jesus Christ, the, the Savior of the world, has, uh, has come and that he's going to forgive sins and that he'll save souls. We don't have to choose who we're going to share the message of the gospel with. Well, that person I'll tell, this person I'm not. Oh, he's a horrible guy. That guy, I, I don't, he doesn't deserve to go to heaven. Oh, but you do. Right? That guy deserves to go to hell. I'm not sharing the gospel with him. Oh, you don't deserve hell, do you? No, we're all in the same boat. Were it not for Jesus Christ, we'd be the same. Who are we to pick and choose who we're going to share the gospel with? Who are we to pick and choose who we're going to pray for? Who are we to pick and choose who we're going to, to be a witness to? The Bible says, tell every creature. That means every single person in this world ought to have an opportunity to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the fact that there are so many people, not just across this world, not just across the United States, but across this area and in your neighborhood that have never heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, never heard what Jesus Christ will do for them, means that we are failing in preaching the message of the gospel and we're failing in that great commission. Has everybody in your neighborhood heard the gospel? Why not? You've been given a command to preach the gospel to every creature. I think it's kind of hard for all of us to go to Asia and Africa and Mexico and all these other places, but not that hard to go around the corner, is it? If we've been given the commission to preach the gospel to every creature, then surely it seems pretty easy to do it at least at home in our own neighborhoods, doesn't it? Why don't we do it? Is it because we're not going to get praised for, for going out in our neighborhood because it wasn't at a scheduled visitation time? I didn't show up to, to do that because nobody else was going to be there and see me do it, so I can't. I, and I don't think that's what's going through our minds. Well, I can't do that because nobody's going to see me do it. But why don't we do it then? Why don't we share the message of the gospel? We, don't, we have no right to limit that offer to any class of people or to any any area or anything, God commands his servants to offer salvation to every man, to every creature. That's the command that he's given us. They reject it. That's at their own peril. I can't make them get saved, but I want to give them an opportunity to do it. Do you share the gospel with every person you have an opportunity to share the gospel with? I, I try, and I'm not perfect at it by any stretch, but, but anytime I sit down to meet somebody, or any time I, I, I spend any length of time with somebody, the first thought that goes through my head is, I need to get this person the gospel. I need to share the gospel with this person. I may be the only person that's ever going to do that in their entire life. And if they only get to hear it once, at least they got to hear it once. It's the same thing that I, that I think of when I preach a funeral or when I do a wedding or when I meet somebody for anything that I'm sitting down to meet them for. They're going to get the message of the gospel. If at any time in their life they're going to get it, it'll be this time. Is that what characterizes your life? Is that what consumes your thoughts? Because if that does not consume your thoughts, you're not going to share the gospel with people. If that's not the first thing that you think about when you're sitting down to meet somebody, 
that, hey, I don't know if this person is saved. I need to share the gospel with them. If that's not what you're thinking about when you're meeting them, then you don't have a heavenly mindset. I feel an, I feel a, an overwhelming obligation to share the message of the gospel with somebody when I sit down to talk about anything. And if we don't feel that obligation, then why are you still here on this earth? I'm not saying go kill yourself. I'm just saying we have a commission. You're a Christian if you're saved. You have a job to do, and it's not to do business. It's not to have pleasure. It's not to, do, to have fun. It's not for any of those things. Not, it's not think, there's nothing wrong with those things, but your commission as a Christian is to share the message of the gospel with every creature. That's your responsibility. That's your only responsibility before God. Why don't we take it seriously? How we become guilty of, of, of discrimination and who we're going to share the gospel with. Well, that guy's homeless. Stay away from him. I'll get no recognition if I lead him to Christ. Oh, he's a homosexual. Can't talk to him about the gospel. No. What do they need more than anything? They need Jesus Christ. That's why they're in the condition they're in. Oh, that politician, boy, I'm telling you what, he's, given so, he's written so many policies that have been so damaging to this country. I'm not going to pray for him. I'm not going to share the gospel with him. What do they need? They don't need somebody to come in with a conspiracy theory and tell them that what, everything they're doing is... Do, do you think that, that, that by exposing conspiracy theories, the government is going to say, oop, they got us, I guess we better change, right? How do you think they're going to change? Give them the gospel. Let them get saved. That'll change their life, not your conspiracy theories. And I'm not saying, if you, if you want to get into all that stuff, get into all that stuff. But you know what they need more than anything else? They need the gospel. They need Jesus Christ. They need somebody who's willing to share the message of the gospel with them. I'm sure there's all kinds of stuff going on in the government that we know nothing about. And probably a lot of the conspiracy theories that we hear are probably very, very shallow in comparison with how deep most of it really is. What are you going to do about it? Expose it so they'll change? I mean, they probably are not going to. The, the, the wickedness is very, very, very deep. The way they're going to change is by sharing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, praying for them to be saved, using every opportunity we can to share the gospel with these people. What we're really saying is that we may not get credit if those people, if those are the people that we're going to. Oh, those savages in the jungles of South America won't know who I am. They won't send word back that I'm doing a great work amongst them. I can't go to South America and be a missionary, right? That religious class of people doesn't deserve to be saved. Besides, I could spend my whole life telling them about Jesus Christ and probably only see a handful of them come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Hey, we don't get to choose those things. We're commanded to tell every creature and try to bring them to Jesus Christ. Well, I can, I can only tell that person if a pastor knows about it and I get praised publicly for sharing the gospel and somebody got saved. We may never say it out loud, but those are the, the, the wicked thoughts that run through our heads or else we would share the gospel with everybody that we come into contact with. We have our excuses. We have our reasons. And yours might be different. It may not be as deep as that or whatever else, but why don't we share the gospel? I love to hear stories of winning other people to Jesus Christ, telling others about him, but that ought not to be our motivation. I, 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 I marvel. In fact, turn back to Hebrews chapter 6. We're, we're done. But I, I marvel to think about how many missionaries they, there may be that served on a foreign field that nobody knew anything about without ever getting their names in lights, but they faithfully served God. I wonder how many 
old ladies are going to stand before God to hear him say, well done for that prayer life that you had. You moved heaven. You did a great work. Oh, you were there in your room by yourself. You couldn't get out much. I know you didn't have a whole lot of mobility, but you moved heaven. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I wonder how many people will be rewarded for faithfully enduring persecution without ever writing back home to tell them what they suffered for Jesus Christ. Make sure that everybody knew they suffered for the cause of Christ. I wonder how many people we're going to see in heaven that just served faithfully, got persecuted, maybe even lost their life for it. I wonder how many Sunday school workers, ministry workers, nursery workers are going to be standing before God getting rewarded because they faithfully served week after week, year after year, without ever asking for recognition, without ever hoping to be rewarded. May I remind you of the quote, I've said it many times, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Most people are, aren't willing to be unknown heroes because they don't want to serve without recognition. They don't want to labor without people knowing that they're actually laboring. They, they, they don't want to serve without being seen. They don't want to pray unless other people are there to hear them. They're not willing to love without being loved. They're not willing to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ unless they can get some credit for it or some recognition for leading somebody to Christ or for taking the time to go out. Here's the best promise of all for a willing servant of Jesus Christ who just serves because he loves Jesus Christ. Verse number 10 of Hebrews chapter 6. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. He's not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name. You do it for Christ. He doesn't forget. Hey, somebody gets some recognition, and, and we might remember somebody for 20 years or 30 years, or you might have a, you know, somebody that, that uh, writes a book about you that, that stays around for 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, it, it, it may be something like that, you know. But after all is said and done, one of these days, you're going to be a, an old, crusty picture on somebody's wall, and that's my great-grandfather. You know, I heard he, they're not, they're not going to remember you. They're not going to know who you are. I've got, I've got old pictures of my relatives that all I've ever seen is that one picture of. I don't know anything about them, Right? They might have been famous in their time. They might have done some great things that people recognized them for in their time. But I tell you this, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you've showed toward his name. Unknown heroes. Because after all is said and done, an unknown hero is still a hero. An unknown hero is still a hero. And I'd rather be a hero in God's book and be recognized by him for living for him and serving him than be recognized by anything this world can offer me any day. Unknown heroes. Are you willing to be an unknown hero? Until you're willing to be an unknown hero, God will never be able to use you to the full extent that he wants to use you. He may give you recognition. You might, your name might be written in lights somewhere someday. But until you're willing to be an unknown hero, 
you'll never be recognized by God. An unknown hero. That's what I want to be, if that's what God wants me to be. And we should all want the same thing. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. I thank you for so many people whose, whose names we can't even call because we don't know them that just faithfully served, that, that got us to the place that we are now. Somebody who led somebody who led somebody who led somebody to Christ that led me to Christ. I don't know who those people are, but I thank God for them. So many Sunday school teachers, so many bus workers, so many people who, who faithfully served without recognition that carried on the cause of Jesus Christ. I pray that we'd have a whole church full of people that'd be willing to serve, willing to love, willing to share the gospel, whether we get recognized for it or not. And may you be, may, may you be lifted up because we have a church full of people that don't care about being recognized but only care about serving you. And God, where we need to change some things, I pray that you'd help us to do that this morning. Thank you again for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed as the piano plays. God's spoken to your heart this morning. You come.